Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, fun stuff lined up today. We are talking about ESPN's FPI rankings. Oh boy. No, we're not. (laughs) We've decided they did fix those after the Mississippi State. They are now back, right? They're broken again. They're broken. (laughs) I saw it the other day. I was like, this seems wrong. All right, guys. We we can't have Texas in the top ten. We can't have that. We can't have Auburn at ten. We can't have that either. I don't I don't know what they do. I, I truly think after they get through one through three, it's just all about oh you know what let's let's just kind of pick and, and choose here. It's like they just throw throw a dartboard or something like that. It's unbelievably bad. We're not talking about ESPN FPI today though. Thank you. We're, we're not doing that. That's above us. Um, We are going to dig into a lot of draft stuff with PFF's Trevor Sykema, and we are also gonna have, I think what's gonna be a really interesting figuring out the best advice you've ever received. But first, okay, what do we always say about preseason quarterback rankings? And specific to the SEC, I guess. What do we always say about them, Will? Take them with a grain of salt. Take them with a grain of salt. Everybody's probably going to get really mad. If you have a take, you're probably going to be proven right at some point or another, and you're probably going to flex on somebody. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. It could is. be four years later as that person goes sixth overall in the draft. You just never know. Yes. You know this all too well, don't you? I said months ago that everyone was going to be mad about SEC quarterback rankings, and that's because so many SEC teams have their guy. There are seven quarterbacks in the SEC that I think – could have a case to start off in the top 10 national quarterbacks. That's what, that's what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Like it is that good, the conference is that deep. It might be the deepest it's been since at least 2013, maybe longer, it might be the deepest it's ever been. On top of that, I think there are 11 guys in the SEC who would not surprise me if they, if they finished as top 10 quarterbacks in the country, which like, that, that's not going to happen. But if you told me, hey, this guy's gonna finish as the top 10 quarterback, I'd be like, yeah. Uh, I believe you. Mm-hmm. Auburn, Mizzou, Vandy. Those are the only teams who lack a guy right now that I would feel like could end up there, especially with Mizzou whiffing on JT Daniels. Robbie Ashford slander this early? Wow. I just talked up Robbie Ashford the other day. I just did. We can't get there yet. Mm-hmm. We can't get there off a of spring game. All right. Sorry, Auburn fans. Maybe in time, but we're not we're not getting there for now. So naturally, there are fans who are gonna see their guy not in the top three, and they're gonna be pissed off. That's the way that this works. We did not make uh, necessarily a coordinated effort to do this, but Adam, Marler, myself, we all sort of released our SEC quarterback rankings one through 14. We all kind of just did this one after another. Um, don't you know it? People had some takes. Not everyone agreed. It's crazy, right? <laughs> so surprised to see that. Well, I'm gonna read my, uh, my quarterback rankings and I want you to guess where I got the most pushback. Okay. Some of this isn't really new because I've, I've already done my top five, so that might sound a little bit familiar, but listening at home, maybe just kind of think to yourself, where, where did Connor maybe get a little bit of resistance? <laughs> I see it right now. <laughs> yeah, yes you do. I have Bryce Young at one, Hendon Hooker at two, KJ Jefferson at three, Will Rogers at four, Spencer Rattler at five, Stetson Bennett the fourth at six, Will Levis seventh, Jaden Daniels slash Miles Brennan at eight, Anthony Richardson at nine, Jackson Dart at 10, Haynes King slash Max Johnson at 11, Auburn at 12, Mizzou at 13, Vandy at 14. I'm like, yeah, you know what? We're not even gonna try and assume that one, one of those guys is going to be the starter. 
So where do you think I got the most pushback, Will? First off, I'm laughing super hard that there are two higher-ranked teams with like either or, and the bottom three are just team names. <laughs> it's like, whoever you pull out of this hat, buddy, not going anywhere. The, okay, to answer your question, it's certainly in that five, six, seven range. I think Kentucky fans probably think that Will Levis is better than Spencer Rattler. I think that Georgia fans probably also coming off that title think that the stepdad's a little bit better than Spencer Rattler. I think probably Rattler at five, or at, yeah, yeah, at five is where we're looking at here. Why we pay you the big bucks well you know. that that is why right there five through seven you hit the nail on the head i i kind of knew that when i made this public i would get some pushback for levis and rattler again levis at seven rattler at five the levis part of this i totally get why there was that pushback because Again, this is the first time that Mark Stoops has had a no-doubter QB1 worthy of national love. No disrespect to our favorite neighbor, Terry Wilson. Mm -hmm. I saw Kentucky fans be like, wait, we have a stud. And you think that he's a middle-of-the-pack quarterback in the SEC? What are you talking about? They don't want to hear, well, the position is absolutely loaded in a way that it hasn't been since at least 2013 and maybe longer. They don't want to hear that, and I don't really blame them. Mm -hmm. They just feel like their guy isn't getting the love, and Rattler is because he's a household name. My guy, Nick Roush over at, at KSR, and then Kyle Rowland at, uh, at Rival. Sorry if I butchered your last name, Kyle. Um, we got into a healthy debate <laughs> on Twitter about me undervaluing Levis and overvaluing Radler. I'm not really the type of person that likes to get into the Twitter debates, but when it's like colleagues or something like that, I'll play along because I think it's good discussion and you can kind of see where, what's a nice way to say this? Um, you can kind of see where people's opinion you actually trust and respect, like where those opinions lie. You know what I mean? Connor filtering like, out of the pores, the not verified. He's only talking to the, no, no, no. the people who do their homework. No, 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 no. Because no. if you've if you've had enough exposure around some of these guys, yeah, I want I want to hear. I want to mm -hmm. hear the, the what that resistance is, and if you have a point to make that maybe I haven't even thought about yet. Then yeah, that's the discussion that for me is worth having and kind of seeing, and also at the same time kind of seeing why why do I believe this? If I haven't had to necessarily argue this, maybe my opinion will change, and I think that's healthy. I don't like doing that with uh, an egg bot who you know, let's be <laughs> honest, is just living to troll. Like I don't need to waste my time on that. But in that setting, I, I welcome it. So we got into this discussion. We went back and forth a little bit, and you know, I, I think that I, I'm surprised to be in this spot because I usually find myself defending Will Levis right. and arguing why he's really good and doing the exact opposite with Spencer Rattler. I talked about last mm -hmm. year how I thought Matt Corral was a better quarterback than him. So all of a sudden now I'm in the crosshairs pitting Spencer Rattler and Will Levis against each other and arguing for Spencer Rattler, which is just like this, this weird place. But I kind of wanted to explain where I was coming from and just an, an overall evaluation of Spencer Rattler that I think would be fair to him and not necessarily this caught in the moment of last year and not necessarily also caught up in the hype that was last year. And we can establish some sort of a middle ground because it's really hard to rank him in these SEC quarterback rankings. You know what's really funny the pushback. Sorry, if you're a national guy, you could do everything in the world to ingratiate yourself with one fan base. Like you could put out positive Will Levis thing after positive Will Levis thing, but you do that one negative thing, it all evaporates instantly. <laughs> oh yeah, Look, I, yeah. They don't care if you if you have one take about their guy, it's out of here. I literally wrote last week. I think Will Levis can be a top ten quarterback in all of college football by season's end, mm -hmm. and, and I shared that article with Nick and. 
you know what, I, I think the upside is there. And that's kind of my point for so many of these guys in the SEC is they have that path. It just looks really bad when you're looking at a ranking of 14 dudes and he's only at number seven. Yeah. And then you say, well, gosh, you're disrespecting my guy. I was like, no, there's just more context that's needed. So um, look, the pushback on my ranking is is a fair point. It's, hey, Will Levis had a really solid year at Kentucky. Meanwhile, Spencer Rattler couldn't make it work at Oklahoma. We talked about Levis a lot last pod, so I'd rather make this more about Rattler instead of explaining why the turnovers need to come down with Levis, just because, I, again, I'm not anti-Levis. I really am not. Yeah, if His you want path, a full Will Levis, we've done three or four of those, so we lot. love that guy. You've, search Will Friend Levis, show. it'll come up. Yes, friend of the show. We've had him yeah, on, right? Like, Believer. Um, but with Rattler, we need some real perspective on him because it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. You're going to see some people say that he's a top three quarterback in the country and basically pretend like 2021 didn't happen. And you're going to see some people say that he's a bottom half quarterback in the SEC and pretend like 2020 didn't happen. Where I push back on with the Rattler skeptics is, well, he got benched in favor of a true freshman, so he can't be good. Last I checked... Jalen Hurts got benched for a true freshman, and things worked out pretty well for both of those guys. Sure did. How quick, how quickly we lose sight of perspective when it comes to Rattler. When Oklahoma fans started chanting for Caleb Williams, they weren't comparing Rattler to other quarterbacks in the Big 12 or even in the SEC for that fact, because they didn't know that he was going to transfer in the SEC. Mm -hmm. They were comparing him to Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. Unless you are DJ Uyungle at Clemson, Bryce Young at Alabama. Yeah, you're laughing because I still crush that pronunciation. We're getting all the mileage of the Uyungle pronunciation. I love it. <laughs> all day, every day. Unless you are DJ, DJ Uyungle, Bryce Young at Alabama, or CJ Stroud at Ohio State, nobody has any idea what it's like to get compared to that type of recent history at the quarterback position. Rattler was not as good as Baker Mayfield, wasn't as good as Kyler Murray, wasn't as good as Jalen Hurts. I'm not breaking news by saying that. If I had to bet, I'd say a change of scenery won't suddenly make him as good as those guys. I'm not predicting that Spencer Rattler is going to be a Heisman Trophy runner-up, which that's the floor for that group right there. But why I still think Rattler is worthy of a top five spot in the SEC is because I've seen him be one of the best quarterbacks in the sport. As a guy who averaged 29 pass attempts per game, he had the number 11 quarterback rating in the country in 2020. That was better than Trevor Lawrence in his pre-draft season. We watched Rattler finish fifth among Power 5 quarterbacks in touchdown passes and lead the number 6 offense in the country in 2020, wherein he was also the MVP of a Power 5 conference championship game. And if we're only counting games against Power 5 competition, by the way, Oklahoma still had the number 4 offense in the country. Mm -hmm. I know the pushback though. I know the pushback, but that was just Lincoln Riley and all those weapons around him. Oh, and he he only faced Big Twelve defenses. So does that really count? If you're if you're pro for Spitzer for Spitzer Rattler, is Lincoln Riley was just there and bought in that last season. I don't know what to tell you. That dude had two feet out the door. Yes, he uh, it certainly seemed that way. There's there's no there's no doubt about that. In 2020, defense was. It, for the most part, horrendous. Right. And that includes the SEC. If you recall, the SEC in 2020 had just two top 25 defenses, only four defenses in the top 40 in FBS. So does that mean we should just discount all offensive numbers and only rely on the 2021 sample size instead of 2020? Even if we just did that, I still think the average person wouldn't realize that Rattler still had a better quarterback rating than Will Levis in 2021. 
quarterback rating doesn't factor in the rushing. And obviously, Levis was better there. I'm definitely going to give him that. I've already sung his praises. I think he's got Jim McMahon-like fearlessness as a runner. And that's the highest compliment I can give a rushing quarterback, for those who know. Oh, yes. Um, but here's what I think is worth remembering as we talk about Rattler. When Oklahoma is down early to Texas, remember, the Sooners were coming into that game undefeated. Rattler was getting roasted because he wasn't living up to that preseason buzz, which was as high as it could possibly be. The deep ball wasn't there. He was forcing throws. He was not looking like the next great Oklahoma quarterback. Coming into that game, his quarterback rating was 158. Only 10 power five guys had that for an entire season in 2021. Rattler was at 7.9 yards per attempt and he threw a pick once every 40 attempts. All right, These, this belief that he was just a train wreck to start 2021 is overblown and it's overblown because of what he was being compared to. He's got a decorated five-star guy waiting behind him. That's the guy that they're chanting for in late September, even for an undefeated Oklahoma team. On top of that, he's just an easy guy to root against. <laughs> yeah. We all saw the QB1 show. That's part of it, all right? We've seen the viral clips where he's being a really bad teammate. We see that. He had all the NIL attention coming into last season. And because we pick apart top quarterbacks like it's nobody's business, I'm guilty of that as well. Rather was the perfect target, all right? Like he was getting judged on a different scale than everybody in the country. And that even includes Sam Howell, who was getting that preseason love, mm -hmm. all right? Because Sam Howell wasn't necessarily considered to be on that level with the number one overall pick and all those different things. If Will Levis got off to a start like that at Kentucky, Kentucky fans would have been fired up. If he had a quarterback ready, 158, yeah. first part of the year, they're not thinking, hey, Let's start chanting the backup's name because maybe he can look like those three other guys. Kentucky doesn't have those three other guys. Again, I'm not anti-Levis, but in his first five games last year, he threw six picks, not all of which were his fault. I saw Kentucky fans in the mentions about that as well. A lot of drop balls. The rushing was almost as the same as Spencer Rattler's. And look, Levis had four pretty underwhelming performances after that debut against Louisiana Monroe. Remember when he had to rally the troops against FCS Chattanooga? Or when he basically only had one good drive against South Carolina? As SEC StatCat pointed out, part of the resistance with Levis is he had a six game stretch in the middle of the year in which he was 0 for 8 on deep balls. And a lot of them weren't really that close. So it's hard for me to say that Levis should be ranked higher because of his arm strength because that didn't really connect. And meanwhile, Rather was roasted for not connecting on those deep throws uh, and against probably a whole lot more drop eight coverage as well than what Will Levis was seeing. Okay, that's another thing to remember. Levis would have been benched in the third quarter against Chattanooga in week two if he was at Oklahoma. All right, that's... And I get it, Oklahoma didn't play Chattanooga. You get what I'm saying, okay? They were judged on very different scales. But because Levis was at Kentucky and he wasn't getting the benefit of having Lincoln Riley in his ear with this cradle of insane quarterbacks, he was allowed to work through that pretty underwhelming start and he turned into a really nice player who could beat you in multiple ways. 
I say that because this entire argument is who you would take if you're putting them uh, just on any team tomorrow. That's what I think this should be about. If you're if you want to project what they're going to do for an entire season, that's different for me. All right, I would have a much higher projection for somebody like Jackson Dart. But because we haven't seen it necessarily, I can't sit here today and tell you that he's a top three, top four quarterback in the SEC. The irony now is that Rattler went from being in the place that basically calls you a bust if you fall short of being a Heisman runner-up to South Carolina, who has never had an all-SEC quarterback. Mm -hmm. Let me repeat that. South Carolina has never had an all-SEC quarterback. Yes, I know South Carolina fans, Connor Shaw not getting all-SEC love at the end of the year is pretty baffling, but just like we're talking about right now, sometimes when you play in a conference, that has crazy depth like it did back in 2013. That's just the way it goes. All SEC quarterbacks that year were Johnny Manziel, AJ McCarron, Aaron Murray. All right, pretty good, okay? Connor Shaw's probably not worthy of taking one of those top three spots. I can acknowledge that Rattler has some really nice potential as a guy who doesn't have limitations in my opinion. He really doesn't. Just because I say that though, doesn't mean that I'm penciling him in as this future top five pick. There's a middle ground. We need to find that middle ground with Spencer Radler that has just been really lost in the shuffle. Saying he's a top five quarterback in the SEC right now is very different for me. And don't tell me that we should have asterisks on all of his numbers and then say that anybody could just go to Oklahoma and have a 40 to 12 TD die and T ratio with a career 166 quarterback rating. Go back and watch the throws that he can make and then also tell yourself he's soft with some of the chances that he takes on these runs. He had this play in 2020 where he's got goal to go. The first two reads that he makes just aren't there. So he tucks it and he hurdles over the tackler. It's eerily similar to the stuff that we praised Will Levis for last year. I want to push back on anyone saying that Rattler isn't tough because I think we often lump mental toughness and physical toughness together, mm -hmm. and those can be kind of different things. And even saying that he's not mentally tough is, you know, we'll, we'll, time will tell with that, all right? The jury's kind of still out on the way that that looks. He's still got a lot of potential chapters that he's going to have in his football career to determine that whole narrative. But he had another play where this dude on TCU is just rushing the blind side, and he times it perfectly to get a clean shot on Spencer Rattler. Probably 95% of the quarterbacks in college football get their heads taken off on this play. And instead, Rattler spins to throw this, this unbelievable like one motion spin where he gets this guy off of him. And just as quickly as he gets this guy off of him, his shoulders are already squared and he's already working through his progressions. He sees that it's not there and then he decides to tuck it and run and he picks up a first down and it's like a 20 yard gain. And I'm thinking to myself, I get why people fell in love with this dude. Mm -hmm. I really, really do. Because you see stuff like that and you say, man, <laughs> that works. Uh, that plays on any level. All right. Don't sit here today and tell me that that's just because he was going against the Big 12 defense. He's going to have free rushers coming at him in the SEC where blitz packages aren't picked up. If South Carolina doesn't improve on the offensive line, that could happen more times than he probably cares to count. All right. But when you can do stuff like that, it changes things. And I, I know you can watch highlights of a quarterback especially, and you can sell yourself on anything. I always say that I could have put together a five minute highlight package of Christian Hackenberg, and I could have had you convinced that he was about to become an NFL star. I really yeah, could have. That's right? one of those first guys we were both just so rock on, because I was right there with you. You're right, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, the, the highlights are good. Mm -hmm. The highlights are really good. 
Everyone wants to know though with Spencer Rattler what it's going to look like in those in-between times and what his downside is. There's this fear that he can blow up a team when at the same time you'd say, well, Oklahoma was undefeated when he got benched and they lost those two games early in 2020, but I would argue he was mostly good in those games. He had the, the one game with three interceptions. He's still like over 400 yards, something like that. He wanted a couple throws back. That's, that's pretty much it. I'm eager to see what Radler is going to do in this new situation. And he's going to the ultimate good vibes team in college football right now. Also, anybody who says that he doesn't have weapons, uh, I don't think they've watched Jaheim Bell. I don't think they've seen Josh Van, DK Joyner, and even Rattler's guy who we brought over with him from Oklahoma, Austin Stogner. He has potentially be one of the league's better pass-catching tight ends. Offensive line still has to improve, but I still want to see the 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 upside with him. And I still think that we could see it, especially if Marcus Satterfield dials into some of those schemes that he had drawn up in the Mayo Bowl, which you're like, where was this all year, man? That was incredible. Sign me up for some of that. So I, fe I feel okay saying that there is a path for Spencer Rattler to have an all-SEC season and to be the first South Carolina quarterback to ever accomplish that. I feel fine saying that. Gamecock fans don't really have a reason to turn on him either, which is... You know, like they're going, they're going to defend him. If anything, they're going to be the ones who are going to be trying to talk us into his performance, even if it's lackluster. Whereas Oklahoma fans would probably have all the ammo in the world to bail on him the second that he didn't look as good as he thought, or as they thought he would. So I find myself defending Spencer Rattler now, which is just a total 180 from last year. It's crazy that quarterback rankings sometimes make you do that. But that's why I had him at number five. That's why I wasn't quite as high on, on Will Levis there. I realize we didn't talk about Stetson Bennett at that point. That was going to be my first kind of take is like, any like, thoughts on Stetson Bennett and how he fits in all this? How many guys in the SEC do you think could have won a national championship with that defense? That's the question everybody wants to know, yeah. right? And we don't. And we don't know that, that even... You know, even Bryce Young against Nick Saban in this world in which that could have existed, mm -hmm. if he would have made the big time throws that Stetson Bennett did in the fourth quarter of a national championship wherein his team was trailing, there's just no guarantee. So that's that's part of the reason why I have him as a, one of the top half quarterbacks in the SEC. I have him at number six. But I would also push back on those saying that he's number two or number three simply because he won a national championship when... I think we need to see what it looks like if he is going to be a guy who averages 30 pass attempts a game. Mm -hmm. We need to see what it's like when he's trailing. We need to see what, it's, what it looks like when he isn't consistently getting short fields. We need to see what it looks like in those spots when things are a little bit tougher. And I think Stetson showed a lot of people that he's capable of way more than we gave him credit for back in 2020. And he improved. He absolutely did in Tom Munkin's offense. But what I sit here today and you know, I'm at the playground and I'm picking Stetson Bennett over Hendon Hooker? No. Yeah. Uh-uh. Am I picking KJ Jefferson over Stetson Bennett? Yes. Absolutely. Am I maybe taking Stetson Bennett over a, a, a massive unknown right now like an Anthony Richardson? Yeah, I know Florida fans are going to be upset with me saying that. Give me Stetson Bennett because I've seen him make those reads. Anthony Richardson still needs to show that he's not going to have these grenade-type games wherein he just totally kills your chances of winning. Stetson Bennett hasn't done that. Now, he might not have Anthony Richardson-level upside. There might not be anybody in the SEC outside of Bryce Young that has Anthony Richardson-level upside. 
but I've still seen that. And so we're talking about right now and what we're trying to project moving forward. So that's kind of where I stand with him. But I did also find myself defending Stetson Bennett to Kentucky fans because I had him ranked ahead of Will Levis. Yeah, I think personally I would just switch those two. I, I, I think that as far as Rattler versus Levis, I think you're right on the money. Like, not to, like, do the whole Stetson thing. I just, you know, we're entering, what, season three or four of, like, not really knowing where to put Stetson Bennett. Like, because he was a backup, obviously, three. coming yeah. into this year. You know what I'm saying? So it's, like, not to slander him. It's just I'm not going to do the other side of that, right? Not that you are, but I'm not going to do the other side of that where it's, like, oh, we doubted him. Now the haters are all wrong. But, like, Georgia fans are trying to tell this whole reverse narrative about Stetson Bennett where they were on board all year. We were all wrong about him. Nah. <laughs> I think that he was a good quarterback. I think he's done a lot for Georgia. But I'm not – Yeah, I'm, I think he's, like, a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think he'd probably honestly say something similar as far as, like, just he, he understands his role, and that's why he's so good. You know what I'm saying? Like, but that being said, like, to kind of flip that on the next point, I think that Rattler and Levis are – kind of very interesting cases because they're super duper different, right? So I think you made the point really well with Lincoln Riley. It's that that's an offense. That is a offensive heliocentric team. If their offense is not the best in the country, they're horrible. Like they're not even, I mean, like it's almost like the defensive coordinators at Oklahoma have gotten a super long leash to do whatever they've wanted. And the offense, the quarterback has kind of been put to like bear the brunt of that. And they've been uh, skillful or lucky enough to have enough guys in a row. I mean, you know, eight, ten guys in a row, even going back to, you know, um, you know, Landry Jones and all these guys, like back to back to back to back, great quarterbacks. So I think the expectations are almost like underratedly high at Oklahoma, whereas Kentucky is more of a defensive team, right? Like, you know, if it's going wrong with Kentucky, it's going to be pretty much on offense. They've had like a couple of rough defensive games here and there, but Mark Stoops, where he makes his bread and butter, number one, right in the trenches. Number two, he's always going to have like a great linebacking core. That's just kind of what I've seen from him, either a pass rusher or a linebacker, kind of the hybrid type of guy. So I think that Will Levis, in number one, he's, you know, had a dynamic run game I think that's super huge for him so it's not that I would really you know put one over the other it's just that I've seen Spencer Rattler have this massive microscope on him and while he didn't handle it well I as a person couldn't imagine me having a beer with him seems like just a rough guy to get along with that's part of yeah. it that that's absolutely part of it though and and why it, it to me like if we're talking about just within the confines of a game and it, and it matters to a certain extent right you, you got to be a guy that that, that guys want to rally around. At the quarterback position, that matters. Mm -hmm. Like, you can be a jerk and be a running back and nobody's really gonna <laughs> care. <laughs> it, it's, it's almost a, a positive for you. You can be a jerk and be a middle linebacker and it's like, oh yeah, he's got a mean streak. We, we kind of like him. You can't be a quarterback and isolate yourself. And that's the question that everybody has with Spencer Rattler. And if we're talking about intangibles, that's one thing that Will Levis has that Spencer Rattler is still trying to figure out what that's going to look like this year. And what's it going to look like when things don't go well? Mm -hmm. With Will Levis, we've seen what it looks like when things weren't really going well. And they weren't going well in the first part of the year for him last year. Like, I think we lose sight because of how historic of a start it was for Kentucky of how much he struggled in those first five games. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was it was really rough rough going for a bit there, and he was kind of bailed out by a couple of clutch, uh, really clutch plays. The throw that he had to Wandell, I bring it up all the time, the throw that he made on that long third down conversion that he had against Mizzou was massive, mm -hmm. all right? Kentucky season could look really different if he doesn't complete that pass and recognize the coverage in that spot, knowing that Wandell was getting pressed and the way that they were able to figure that out. I like that Will Levis can get to the line of scrimmage in that moment and understand that. That to me is what kind of, 
would prevent anybody from saying like, oh yeah, you know, he's Will Levis isn't even a top 10 quarterback because he threw 13 interceptions last year. I'd say, well, no, you need a little bit more context than that. Right. You need to kind of understand what it's like. And when you also have a guy who recognizes I need to put this team on my back right now and be a running force and I can do these things. I like that Will Levis has that gear, that gear to just say, no, get out of my way. Right. I'm running you over. This is my time. I still think though that he has room for improvement. I think a lot of these guys do. You know, I even think Hendon Hooker's got room for improvement. The only guy who I feel like we could realistically be saying, yeah, he does about everything you would ever want is Bryce Young. And that's because he won the Heisman Trophy last year. <laughs> Every see, everybody else has a lot to like and still areas where they can get better. And that's why I like the potential of this group. And so if you feel like your quarterback isn't getting enough love, I probably like them and I'll probably defend them and write about why I think they have a lot of potential. That's the weird thing. Whereas last year we weren't doing that. Last year was totally up in the air. And we had so many question marks, even coming into 2020, where it's like, all right, Kyle Trask, and then uh, maybe Miles Brennan, or uh, maybe John Rice Plumley sneaking in there, Kellen Mond is sneaking in. This year's different. It's very different, and I'm looking forward to seeing the way that this plays out. Let me ask you one more question. Where is your break between Tier 1 and Tier 2? So if you oh, say, man. you know, Bryce, Hook, not, not all SEC, this can be as many people as you want. Where's that break? Uh, Bryce is in a tier by himself. Okay. That we know. So you think it's... Tier by himself. Good. Yes. I think that after that... I almost want to just say two through seven. I think two through seven is kind of in, in the same tier. Mm -hmm. I really do. Because I think on any given day, each one of those guys can can have a how do you like me now type game, mm -hmm. a Toby Keith game. That's what we're gonna start calling these. <laughs> Toby Keith, I love that. <laughs> I think each one of those guys can have that type of game, but at the same time, you don't rely on that game in, game out. Now maybe Hendon Hooker is probably the only guy where you really kind of had to rely on him in that sort of way, game in, game out. But I think even, so maybe maybe that's my way of saying I'd put Hendon Hooker slightly, just slightly ahead in tier two, and then tier three would be KJ through Levis, so that'd be three through seven right there with Rattler and Will Rogers and Stetson Bennett fitting into that as well. Man, Bryce being in the tier by himself is something that I didn't even consider until you said it, but it's kind of hard to disagree. Yeah, I think, I, I, for me personally- It'd be unfair to him to put anybody else in that tier. Yeah, it, it would. It, yeah, so, so, so that I, I'd probably say, yeah, Bryce is by himself, and then you got like Hooker, Jefferson, and I think Rogers gets into that second tier. And mind you, Everybody, you know, don't leave us bad reviews. We are all on the same page that they're like, they're literally, a lot of these guys could be top 10 quarterbacks. Just where we stand right now, those guys are like unquestioned, like either multiple year starters or have like proved, they don't like, when you start with Rattler or even Levis, as we've discussed, they have like some type of like, yeah, but you know, even Levis, we haven't even talked about them having a new offensive coordinator, which shouldn't matter, you know what I'm saying? But it, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, you're not really sure, like, ironclad, you know, gun to my head, do I know what I'm gonna get? So yeah, this is a sick QB class. And and like you said, I have been like very vocal about like, I wasn't super pumped about football like in 2020 and everything. And like, I think this is kind of one of those first years where it's like, I look up and down the SEC, we talked about the extra years of eligibility. It's like, all of these guys are electric. So to put, like you said, to put guys up a tier, down a tier, like this could all be paper shredder by the end of the year.
Yeah, you br and you bring up a good point there. Yeah, our ratings are going to look really different. They, they just are, all right? Not all these guys are going to pop, and it's you're going to have a chance to, to kind of dunk on us for, mm -hmm. for one of these rankings. I promise you, like, that's coming. I fully expect that. Um, you bring up the point about, like, not having questions about certain guys. I have less questions about Hendon and Hooker than I do some of the others, mm -hmm. just because if I already saw him have that good of a year wherein he took, what, like, 35 or 40 sacks, whatever it was, yeah. And if that's my biggest question mark with him is can he develop that? Can he develop um, and have more downfield accuracy? He can still improve in that area wherein Tennessee still had all these explosive plays. Then I like the chances of being able to do that. And I love the fact that he's got Cedric Tillman coming back. I think that's just such a weapon and is probably like as, as much of like a high floor group outside of Bryce Young that there is in the SEC right there. I'm going to ask you one okay. more question. I know we're going long. I'm sorry, but I got no, I got to be a hater and pick one. Who is, do you think has the biggest fall potential out of this list? Oh, the biggest fall potential. Like fall, they're, they're going to be like a double-digit ranking by season's end. Yep. Like guy that we look back at this list and say, ah, oh, how do we think that guy was up there? Man. Um, it's, I mean, it's probably, <sighs> Rattler is like the easy answer, right? Because like, but that's almost too easy. You know what I'm saying? I think Stetson's the easy answer. Yeah. I think Stetson's the easy answer because if he gets if he gets benched midseason, then that's the egg on the face type thing. If he gets benched for a loss to Tennessee or something, like, Georgia fans like chill. I'm just I'm just throwing out hypotheticals here. The thing Georgia's very benched, similar almost to Oklahoma in that way that they have ten five star quarterbacks. That's the thing. That's right. the situation. That's, that's the point. Yes. So he would be the person where you'd be like, oh, remember when you said he was better than blah, blah, blah? And like, Will Levis is developing into a top 10 quarterback nationally, or maybe Anthony Richardson is, or maybe Jackson Dart is, or Jaden Daniels, like Miles Brennan, whoever. That's, that's I, I think, got the, the fall potential. Whereas all of those guys that are ahead of him, I would say, well, you're locked in as the starter mm -hmm. and you're gonna get all the chances to succeed. So that, that's probably how I would look at it. Maybe that's not the right way to look at it. Um, but KJ came to mind a little bit because if he doesn't develop as a passer and develop that trust with any of these guys, and he's got to continue to develop that with Jaden Hazelwood. We've talked about that a lot. And we'll get to kind of see what that looks like on Saturday in the spring game. But that's that's maybe the guy where if we're just talking about like staying on the field and not really taking that next step, then KJ probably would have that bust potential. But I don't think he's going to be a bust. I think he's going to be really good. So Pretty good for guys this year, man. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about more guys. NFL <laughs> draft ready guys. Uh, Trevor Sikama, he does great work for PFF. Some of you might know this. I think we've talked about this on the show. Uh, he's been dating our good friend, Alyssa Lang, for some time, several years now. So tough bar to live up to for Trevor. Uh, so I guess we'll see how he stacks up. Here is Trevor Sikama. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Pro Football Focus's Trevor Sikama at Tampa Bay Trey on Twitter. We got to start there. Um, I, I want to get to a lot of draft stuff. I promise we will. First question, though, is very important. Are you one of those people who loves Tampa but hates Orlando? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Come on, man. What are we doing? Like, it's a, like, it's just like a little rivalry, you know? Like, if you like one, you can't like the other. No, but obviously, look, Orlando has its perks. It's got Disney World. It's got Universal. It's got the parks and everything. But, you know, in my humble, unbiased opinion. Very biased essentially everything else is better in Tampa. So that's just, oh. just me. That's what, that's what I think. Wait, so do you, does Tampa get to include like St. Pete, Clearwater, my favorite yes. underweight getaway, 
underrated getaway is Dunedin. I, I love going there all the time with, with my wife, but because like, if you get to include that, that's unfair in Orlando. All we get to include is like, well, we get to include winter park. I live, I live in a Popka. I live on like the okay. north side of a Popka. So like there's okay. winter gardens, a nice area as well. Like, dude, but that's still different than getting to include like St. Pete and, and Bradenton and all that stuff. Like Tampa just gets everything. That's not fair. Listen, if, if Orlando wanted to include other cool areas, it, it, sh- it should have established itself by, by other cool areas. That's all I'm saying. No. Okay. Right. So I'm from, I'm actually from Bradenton. That's where I was born. Oh, nice. I don't consider Bradenton like Tampa. When I think of Tampa, I would think of, okay, the city of Tampa. And then, yeah, you could, I mean, you could cheat and use a little bit of St. Pete and a little bit of Clearwater, but uh, that's kind of, kind of, I think the area all blends together, but like, like Bradenton, Sarasota, Anna Marie Island, that's definitely not Tampa. So I'm not, I'm not going full bias and including all of that. So. Okay, your uh, your latest top ten is is out on Pro Football Focus. You've got Aiden Hutchinson at number one overall. You've got Kayvon Thibodeau going to the Lions, number two, and then Trayvon Walker all the way up at number three. His stock has just been soaring, and I know you got some thoughts on Trayvon. I- I'm pretty blown away to kind of see this rise because I-, I saw that Georgia team in person a lot, and-, and I thought he was pretty clearly like the fourth best player on that defense, maybe the fifth best, depending on what day you see like a Devontae Wyatt or something like that. But uh, tell me why, why the buzz with with Trayvon is real. I mean, it's, it really kind of, I guess, I don't want to say it started at the combine, but it really came to a national prominence at the combine when he put on a historic performance. I mean, you're not going to find basically any athlete ever who was six foot five, 272 pounds, had the arm length and the wingspan that he did, who also tests as athletically as Trayvon Walker did. And I think that's really where we're finding a lot of this desire for him to go very high in the draft, this highest number uh, two, three. And we've heard of which was number one. I don't think it's going to happen. But the reason why we're having that conversation is because of how athletic he is. Now, it's, it's a little bit weighed against this current draft class, right? Because if you plop Trayvon Walker in the 2021 class, so last year's class, he's probably not going until, you know, anywhere from picks 15 to 25, I think, because the class was that good last year. This year, it's not. There, there's not a ton of guys that are really captivating you, whether it's the lack of quarterback attention or just skill players or whatever. It's not the same that it was last year. So I think that you're seeing teams, certain teams. Now, again, this doesn't mean every team. But you're seeing certain teams say we want to take a swing at the fence in a down draft class as opposed to maybe the safer thing somewhere else. So it's a combination of a lot of things, man. You you look at what he was able to do athletically this draft season. And it's, like I said, like it's, it's unparalleled. And you mentioned some of his Georgia teammates and Georgia's defense was very unique. And Georgia's defense had a very unique role for Trayvon Walker and not a lot of it included pass rushing. So when you look at a guy who would go top three, top five overall, you're really saying that you want this guy to be a double-digit sacker for your team the majority of the time that they're there. I don't know if that's the case with Trayvon Walker. For even as much as I like him and as alluring as he is, that's a big ask. And if he's not that for you, then his role better be played really well with a good defensive line around him. And so, man, there's just so much that goes into it. But ultimately, I just think – the teams want to take a swing at the fences in this draft class. And Trayvon Walker is one of those guys that they're going to swing for the fences with. 
it's interesting when you put it like that, acknowledging that it is a swing for the fence and that you take a chance on him because maybe the draft class isn't as good or you don't necessarily think it's as good, even though you would kind of look around at the position and say, all right, well, you've got Thibodeau, you've got Hutchinson. You would think that the edge position is still really good. Let, let me let me push back on it a little bit. I know that we we in the college game are we are people who are locked into just college are, are programmed to say at this time of year production has to matter somewhat and even the pff grades with him were really nothing to write home about i mean he i, I was looking at this I, I was blown away he didn't even crack the top 150 overall grade for for an edge rusher which to me i look at that and i'm like all right are we just looking at what he did in the national championship and he was really good against michigan as well but what he did in the national championship where he had seven pressures in that game and we're combining it with the combine performance we're kind of building this this narrative as like a guy who is eventually you know there was probably always going to be somebody who's going to rise in a draft class like this are we just putting all these things together and selling ourselves on that or is there something else maybe that that just that just kind of says to you he should be picked that high well, I mean, so I got to sit down and talk to him for a feature interview at PFF. And and after talking with him, I get why teams love him. Small town background, loves football, family loves football. I mean, he he is a self-proclaimed country dude. He's always outside doing something active. And so it's like, I completely understand why teams would sit down in a room with him for 30 minutes and be like, okay, we've got the athletic ability. We've got the fact that he played on a national championship defense. He's one of the most athletic dudes we've ever seen. Let's pick him high. So I think that like all of those things go into it, but you know, you mentioned a lack of production and a lack of recognition in, in exactly what he's doing. And when you try to find comparisons for Trayvon Walker, I think two or three come to mind. I think the closest one athletically is Daniel Hunter from LSU, right? When Daniel Hunter is coming out, he was very young. And you look at a lot of the athletic numbers, it's very similar. Similar 40-yard dash, vertical, broad jump, all of that. Now, Trayvon Walker had a freakishly fast three-cone uh, where Daniel Hunter did not. But when you look at Hunter, you go, okay, he didn't exactly have the stats, but he's a good football player now. Hunter's to win the third round. You know, it's like yeah. there's, just, there's this massive difference of what we're talking about. So if you instead try to look for players that went – higher, maybe considered for number one overall. The two names that come to my mind are Mario Williams, who went number one overall in 2006, and Jadavian Clowney, who went number one overall in 2014. When you look at Mario Williams, you say, okay, it was a situation where this guy is so gifted, so athletic, that we have to pick him over guys like Reggie Bush, like Vince Young. But the problem is, Mario Williams left NC State, the all-time sack record holder for the school. So he had all this production. You go to Jadavian Clowney, and even for Clowney, for as much as he wasn't a polished pass rusher, I think people would have still told you even at the time that he was more of an athlete than a than a pass rusher, yeah. a technician. Clowney won defensive player of the year in 2012. You know, like he, he was a multiple all SEC player. Trevor Walker doesn't have any of that. He doesn't have any of those recognitions. He doesn't even have that like one good year that you point to. So it's just, he is such an outlier case in multiple ways, whether it's, how athletic he was or how he was used at Georgia or now how he's being talked about in the NFL draft. And it's just been fascinating to watch. What percentage chance would you give to uh, him, him going number one overall in this class? 10. Like, I, I think it's, I think it's low. I, I, I don't think he's going number one overall. In yeah. fact, I feel like the Jags would draft an offensive player at number one overall over Trayvon Walker. I honestly think that. And and you know what? They need all that to say, like, I think that Aiden Hutchinson is going to be the selection number one overall. And they need a player like Hutchinson. They do. They need that kind of 
sure thing, if you will. Hutchinson is just, he's going to be a damn good football player for him. Is he going to be this maybe rare once in a lifetime generation kind of a player? Okay, maybe not. But I think Hutchinson is going to be a damn good pro for you for years and years into a second contract. And that's what the Jags need. They've had so many swings of the bat that have not connected for so long. You need that kind of a player. You don't need to take a chance on a Trayvon Walker. You don't have Evan Neal as your first tackle coming off the board. Why do you hate Evan Neal? <laughs> I don't hate Evan Neal. Evan Neal is a very good football player, but I feel as though teams are going to, the way that I've put it before is there's a Hollywood aspect to some of these prospects where it's either a trait or a game or something like that, that really sticks out to teams that allows them to buy into them more than other players. And for Iki mm-hmm. Kwanu, I think him as the top offensive tackle off the board, I think that how fierce he is as a run blocker and how erasing he can be. And those clips of him just totally throwing dudes out of the play. Like, I think that that probably sticks out to teams and they say, I want that mentality. I want that kind of guy on my offensive line. Evan Neal, on the other hand, he's, I think he's got great all around game. I don't think he is as dominant as a run blocker as Ike Kwanu. I don't think he's as finesse as a pass blocker as say Charles Cross, the Mississippi state offensive tackle. But I think that Evan Neal has a very high, high ceiling and high floor in both of those categories. So I think he is a fantastic all around offensive tackle prospect. He's played multiple positions, obviously on the interior and at offensive tackle. Uh, I don't think it's any slight with him going second or even as a third offensive tackle in mock drafts, no matter where it is, I still think he's going to be a top 10 player. Uh, so there was talks of him maybe going number one overall before the Jaguars settled their offensive line needs and free agency. But whether it's the Houston Texans at three, whether it's the New York Giants at five or seven, the Panthers at six, we've even heard rumblings about the New Orleans Saints maybe wanting to move up for an offensive tackle. I think there's no way Evan Neal gets out of the top 10. Um, you've got Malik Willis coming off the board, number six overall, only QB in the top 10. Last time we had a, a draft without a QB picked in the top 10 in 2013, that EJ Manuel draft, pretty infamous for that. And a lot of people are comparing this draft to, to that one with the, the QB talent, the lack thereof at the top. And I, I kind of look at it now and I say, well, if in this era with the way that the rookie wage scale is, is set up, you'd kind of be foolish not to take a, a chance on a guy in the top 10 because you can just dump him in two years anyways and not necessarily right. have the same repercussions that you once did. Right. But why did you, um, why, why do you have the, the love for, for Malik that uh, others I, I think have that love, but it's one thing to, to say like, Oh yeah, he's my first quarterback off the board. It's another to say, yeah, I could see him going number six overall and being like, Hey, you're, you're going to play in year one, that type of guy. Yeah, I think that it goes back to the conversation that we had about Trayvon Walker. It's just teams taking a swing for the fence. And I think that when you look at this quarterback overall, I don't have a first-round grade on any of these guys personally, but mm. I I know better than to think that none of them are going in the first round. In fact, I think three. I think Malik Willis, I think Kenny Pickett, and, I, and I'd say Desmond Ritter as well are going to go in the first round. I think that after that, maybe we get a Matt Corral in there, maybe we get a Sam Howell, but there could be four, but... I think that consensus from everything that I've heard, those three guys are are uh, the most likely to go in the first round with a couple of those guys having a chance. But Malik just gives you that profile, both the, as a rusher and as a passer, that you would want to potentially have as your face of the franchise. And I think that also there, there's something to be said about how he became such a it's weird to say locker room because there wasn't really a locker room, but he got players to rally around him at the senior bowl and he'd, he'd only met him for two days beforehand. 
right? And, and I think that there's uh, there's something to that, and just how everybody seems to gravitate towards this guy personal personally, and and that goes into being a quarterback and a face of the franchise just as much as as talent does, because I think that's very much an important part of it. And I think Malik checks a lot of those boxes too. He's somebody that you gravitate towards. He's somebody that you want to root for. He's somebody that you want on their team. And so I think that with him. I believe he'll probably be the first quarterback on the board off the board. I think the only team that might get in the way of that is Carolina at number six. I know I don't have a quarterback going in the top 10 in that mock draft, but if I was doing one today, I'd absolutely have one going to Carolina at number six, because I think that they are taking a quarterback there. So whether it's Malik or whether it's Kenny Pickett, who we know that they like as well, I think that the first quarterback's probably going there. There, I'd bet on it being Malik Willis, but Carolina does like Pickett, so if Malik Willis isn't picked up until six, maybe it could be Pickett over Willis. So that's kind of the way that I see things shaking up. I think Desmond Ritter is probably that third quarterback off the board, but it is interesting. You know, you mentioned that class with EJ Manuel. It, it feels a lot like that, where you just know somebody's going to be picked at some point because it's the quarterback position, but you're not exactly sure where it's going to be. What's your reaction if Matt Corral comes off the board in the top 10, which I don't think is going to happen, but this feels like the type of, t- type of draft where we're like, Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter, like one of these guys coming off way earlier than everybody expects. There's been a lot of, of love lately for Matt Corral, and I get it, man. I mean, if you watch some of the – if you do the five best throws test for these quarterbacks, Matt Corral could basically hang with any of them, right? He said some incredible plays over the last couple of years, and it, it just it's, – it all depends on what a staff believes Matt Corral is going to be without Lane Kiffin because Lane Kiffin, extremely quarterback-friendly offense. And that's not to take away everything from it. Like Lane Kiffin's offense, because it's, it's very quick hit, it's very fast-tempoed, and just because it's a lot of one read stuff doesn't necessarily mean like it's, it's not teaching you anything like Matt Corral now has to be very quick on his feet. He's got to be able to see things when it's happening immediately. He's got to be able to say, Hey, I'm pulling the trigger here or I'm tucking it to run. So like all that still goes into it. But if you are running an offense, that's a lot slower of a pace, a more of a vertical offense where just because Matt Corral has the big arm doesn't necessarily mean he has the read on defenses and, 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 already has the timing down to operate a vertical offense when it comes to going through progressions and seeing, seeing things pre and post snap. That's all it really matters with corrals eval because the physical stuff, the moxie, the you wanting to go to war with this guy, if you will, a lot of that is already there for him. So I'd be very shocked if he goes in the top 10, just because I haven't heard a lot of buzz for that until as of very late, but who knows, man, this NFL draft is it's completely wild. So who knows what's going to happen? Uh, Stingley. I, I've already kind of said my piece on him. I, I went from being in love with the guy 2019 is, and as many have, have spoken about, you know, the last two years just kind of make you scratch your head and go, ah, I don't know if I'm willing to invest that top 10 pick. You have him coming off the board at nine sauce Gardner at seven. What's your overall vibe on, on how teams are, are kind of valuing Stingley right now? So it's, I think that he's kind of right there going anywhere within the top 15. I love Stingley. I really do. I think he's CB one. I mean, when you, when you look at his, when you look at the context of his play, if he could have left after that national championship season, uh, he'd have been a top three, top five pick. Right. And he's not allowed to leave because he's the only true freshman at the time. You look at the year after that. And now we know everything that was going on behind the scenes with LSU's program. So not only did they lose everybody, we know what was going on behind the scenes. Not exactly a great motivating, focusing team to play for in that regard. And it was also, of course, an altered season this past year. He's coming off the Liz Frank foot injury. He's trying to play with three while he's hurt. 
I cannot figure forget that freshman season. That freshman season is what matters most to me. It was when he was in a healthy and good situation and when he was healthy himself. And we saw there a, a true CB1 NFL pro type of player. So um, I think the Stanley is absolutely fantastic. I think he should go as a top 10 pick. No question about it. I I'd take him in the top five for, for some teams as well. So that's how I see him. I'm a believer in him and I still got faith that he's going to be a good pro. I'd be terrified if I'm like the jets or something. My, my co-host Will has brought up this point. I think it's a really good one. So, you know, the way the last two years played out with him, man. And like, if he goes to the wrong situation with that wrong team where they're just, they're three and 13 and it's just bad. I, I've just, we, we've kind of seen what that looks like with him and how much of it was health, how much of it was, you know, he, he was dealing with his own personal issues as well. Just a very you know fascinating prospect though. And kind of, you know, speaks to the nature of this class uh, as a whole. Um, Jameson Williams, you have him rounding out the top 10. I agree that it's, it's kind of silly that I saw some people immediately after the national championship say, Oh, now he's late first round type of pick when I'm like, well, if you, if you had him in your top 10, top 15 before uh, an ACL tear in January, shouldn't really impact that. If you go by the Will Muschamp uh, timeline with ACL tears, he's going to be back by the time like rookie OTAs are around. So um, I, I think that, you know, Jameson, I'm a little bit more skeptical just because, I think that, you know, anybody that that goes that high and has that kind of speed, they're going to be compared to this like Tyreek Hill. And I don't know if one year at Alabama kind of showed that. So where, where do you kind of land on him and why do you have him coming off the board as early as you do? Yeah, I think that you can't teach speed, right? I mean, I think that that's what it all boils down to. And when you look at the fact that his average length of his touchdowns was 47 yards i mean that's just that's unbelievable that that speaks to the volumes of of what he is able to do as a deep threat in your offense but i think that even especially after john mechie went out um uh, around the uh, the sec championship game you saw jameson get involved a lot more with even the quick game and the over the middle stuff and you saw that he could be a complete dude and look i i don't think he's got like these lock jaws of hands or anything and i think that he still has a ways to go into rounding out how much of a wide receiver one he could be but we saw how desperate a lot of teams were to get a guy like tyreek hill once he became available and I'm not saying that Jamison Williams is or even will be as good as Tyree Kill is. But when you're talking about that kind of speed, it gets the imagination going. And I think the NFL loves the imagination when it comes to athletic ability. And I really do think that ACL tears where they are serious injuries, they're not what they used to be. Sports medicine, sports science, whatever it is, has evolved to a point where you see a lot of these guys recovering a lot quicker. You know, the the, the surgeries and the procedures themselves and the, the rehabilitation process has guys coming back quicker and stronger. So we've seen that that's been the timeline for Jamison so far. We've seen that he's already kind of jogging and moving around and doing stretches and catching the football. And Look, even if he misses the first couple of games of his first season, who cares? Get this yep. dude right, and you can be healthy with him, and he can create a great offense for years and years and years to come. So I, that's why I think the Jets. I think the Jets, right at number ten, are going to have him right on their radar. I'd, I'd like to see that, and I'd like to see him paired with Elijah Moore. That'd be a really nice fit and good yes, good options for for Zach Wilson to be able to work with. Um, we already established you hate Evan Neal. You don't have Traylon Burks in your top ten. Why do you hate Traylon Burks? Uh, I think that Traylon is getting kind of a bad rap for his athletic profile with what he was able to do with the combine. And it's not even, it wasn't even his fault. I think it was unrealistic expectations. People thought he was going to sh- show up at six foot five, 230 pounds and run a four, three, because I thought he was going to, they thought he was going to be DK. That was it. That right, was it. That, and that's what we were told that he was going to be. And then he shows up and guess what? His athletic numbers are great. They're fine. They're, they're like, they're, they're, they're fantastic for his size, but people were like, Oh, 
just because it wasn't a four three. I mean, yeah. for goodness sake, we were told the guy was going to have almost like 12 inch hands or whatever. And he shows up <laughs> and it's like nine and three eighths. It's like, okay, who is lying to it? Like, why are we doing who's Wait, like, his hands were his hands were bigger than that, weren't they? No, I uh, no. Look, all right, look, look it up right now. Go to mock, go to mock draftable and type in Traylon Burks and tell me what his hand size is. And I'll keep talking while you do. Mock so, draftable. Okay. So I, I I think that they were they were sub 10 inch hands, I think. So, anyways, um, he is somebody who is very unique. I know there's a lot of creative offensive minds that would love to get their hands on him. Everybody throws around the Debo Samuel thing because that's the biggest buzzword, but however you want to get creative with him, you could play him as an X receiver because he's strong enough to be able to go up at the catch point, play through press coverage. You can play him as a flanker because you want to move him before the snap. You can play him in the, out of the backfield because he's a unique mismatch against linebackers and safeties. All of that's in the cards, but it's funny that you mentioned DK because I do think Traylon Burks is a little stiff. I really do. And I thought the same thing about DK, but I was more convinced that DK had a, knew how to win and be dominant in more traditional ways as a vertical receiver than Traylon Burks does. I think that he's a little bit more gadgety than a guy like DK Metcalf is. So it's just... It, it's, he's got to go to the right spot, if you will, I think. And I hope he goes to a very creative mind because he is a unique football player. But I don't think that, D, that, that Traylon Burks is this can't-miss wide receiver home run hit no matter what for any team. I think he's got to go to a certain spot. Nine and seven-eighths inches. Told you. So, so what? Sub-ten <laughs> hands, man. Wait, so all the, I think even Alyssa did a report where she did. she's – yeah, she's like talking about he's Shaq is the only guy with bigger hands than Traylon Burks. So yeah, like his hands, they they said that it was four times the size or whatever. So uh, I don't know. He was wearing like four XL gloves, something like that. So I don't know. It, it was just so funny. They overblew the crap out of whatever Traylon Burks was going to do. So the guy was never going to be able to live up to this mythological expectations that he had. And honestly, man, I, he, his tape is great. I, I think that you can use him all over the place. Like I said, I, I compare him to DK or if you compare him to DK Metcalf, he's not going to look the same because he doesn't win as a pure wide receiver, even in the ways that DK did. And so I think you've got to get a little bit more creative with how you use him. but I just hope he goes to the right offensive mind. Cause if he does, then I think he could be worth certainly worth the first round pick is even a high first round pick. And so um, it just, it all depends kind of where he goes and I'm hoping he goes to a pretty creative offensive mind. He hunts hogs with a knife. All right. Like, <laughs> I, I did read that, which is scary enough. I he's gonna he's gonna be a force. I, I am I'm definitely pro pro trail. And I, I agree with you. I hope he goes to the right right place and doesn't just go to a place where they're like, hey, just line up on the outside. It's like, well, you know, he was used so effectively in the slot. I would hope that he's going to a place that that really is able to kind of capture his skill set. Um, we we both spent time with Wandell Robinson. We both wrote about him last year uh in Kentucky. I came away from my entire interaction with him thinking that is exactly how I want my future slot receiver wired. Like, like you need a dude who is just obsessive about his route running where you could tell he's, he just absolutely loves the game. He's sitting there like breaking down clips on a random Tuesday morning and sending it to Liam Cohen. Like that, that's the type of stuff where I hear that. And I'm like box checked. That's, that's good. That's, that's what I want. Uh, what, what's your take on kind of where his draft stock is as a, what looks like a possible day two guy. Yeah. Him, Liam Cohen and Will Levis was match made in heaven. I mean, they made beautiful music together for Kentucky this past year. And I think that they all needed each other to get the most out of what Kentucky's offense was going to be. And so, yeah, I, I really like Wandale Robinson as a future slot wide receiver. Um, 
unfortunately the arm length is something that's going to push him down draft boards a little bit just because the arm length isn't like kind of small. It's like super small, but look, you know, you throw it up on tape, he gets the hands out there and he makes the big catches. And sometimes it's even requiring him to, to, to dive deep down the field or to the sideline or being fully extended or whatever it is. And he's shown that he's just a really good wide receiver. So maybe he's not going to hit that measurable box that you're going to check or, or maybe that allurement of, Oh, I'm going to draft this guy because he's just built different. I think he's built different speed wise, but in terms of the packaging that he comes in, I think that some people might be worried about that, but you just throw on the tape and you realize that this guy can do it all. I mean, the Florida game, certainly you're dumping it off. You're getting it in, in, in his hands. However you can, because you know, he can make magic afterwards. And I think that that's really what he's going to be used as in the NFL. He's going to be big on bubble screens and slants and those quick two way go things. I think a lot of the ways that people, saw Kadarius Tony being used in the NFL. I think you can do similarly with Wandale Robinson. Now, some people will tell you that Tony's more quick twitch than Wandale is. And that's fine, but we're still talking about really great athletes now, uh, both vertically like 40 yard dash wise stretching the field. And also I think he's pretty quick twitch as well. So Wandale is a guy where he's, he's firmly going to be a slot receiver at the next level, but he's going to be a fun one. Speaking of Florida, you're Florida grad. How much are you going to wince every time Damian Pierce does something in the NFL and you realize that he's a better pro player than a college player? Look, man, it's no surprise to me. We were all, we, I mean, like so many Gators fans were yelling Everyone. at their TVs, get this guy the ball, and they just wouldn't do it. And it's, man, it, it would be one thing if Florida was running the same offense they were the year prior, right? Because they led the country in passing with Kadarius Tony and Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and all that. So they were, they were a very pass heavy focused team this past year. They were super run heavy. Like that was their entire identity. And yet they wouldn't give this guy the ball. It was so like, that is going to be a mutter under your breath kind of a thing. You're right. Every time Damian Pierce touches the ball uh, from now until the end of time when he is a pro, but I'll tell you, man, there are very few players in this draft who I think NFL teams would unanimously all love and want on their football team like Damian Pierce, especially once you get into those guys who aren't going to be picked in day one just for talent alone. I mean, the dude has the mentality of the running back that you would absolutely want. He is a locker room favorite. Yeah, people just, again, they just gravitate towards him. He's another one where, where just people flock to him because of the personality and who he is and everything like that. And so he's going to be a guy that... When the timing is right, I'm saying probably around third round, fourth round, every team in the NFL is going to be like, hey, what about Damian Pierce here, though? So yeah. I think that he's, he's not going to have a shortage of suitors. I want to get you out of here with a little bit of rapid fire. Just five questions. First thing that comes to mind. Does that work? Okay, let's do it. All right. You're, you are a Chipotle enthusiast to the highest degree. Um, the perfect Chipotle order for, for an individual is what? Okay, so I'm a little bit of a purist here, so I'm going to go with – White rice, black beans, double steak, uh, cheese, mild salsa, and guacamole. And that's it. No sour cream. I'm not loading cheese onto it. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm a purist. Okay. Are we going bowl or, or flour tortilla? Oh, bowl for sure. Bowl okay. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Although I've, I've gotten a little bit back into the burritos lately, but it's, it's mostly bowl. I'm mostly rocking with the bowl. It falls apart. You know, that's why I just said, you know what, just you know, screw it. Give me the bowl. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, I give you one guy on day three to call your own and you can get all the credit. If he succeeds, who's your guy? Oh, a day three player. Uh, I'll go, 
I'll go with Devin Tompkins. He's a guy, wide receiver out of Utah State, almost led the country in receiving yards. I'll tell you his measurables right now, and I'll tell you why he's going day. What's his hand size? Do you know that too? I don't know it off the top of my head, but I know that it's small because he's five foot eight, 155 pounds. Okay. He is a small little wide receiver, but he almost led the country this past year in receiving yards. And that is because I've never seen anybody play bigger than their size than this dude is. I got to sit down and talk to him a little bit. I love the mentality. He's because of his measurables, firmly a day three guy, but uh, I will be certainly watching how he plays in the NFL. Do you know your own hand size? Uh, I don't, I think it's like, I think it's right around like the Joe Burrow, like nine inch hand size. That's pretty big. Actually. I think, I think so. We might be a little, we might be sub nine, but I don't know. I might get a hand massage person in there, you know, (laughs) stretch it out a little bit. If I ever get mine officially measured. I I did mine earlier. I was like, oh, surely I'm like close to nine. I'm like, I'm barely eight. It's rough. I would have no future whatsoever. Yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm, I gotta be over eight, but I gotta be honest with you. I haven't, I haven't, I, I haven't officially measured it. So we'll see. (laughs) If a running back comes off the board in round one, will the PFF headquarters go up in smoke? (laughs) Yes, of course we have to. Uh, That's the company line that I have to give. No, I, I I don't think that we're going to get a running back off the board uh, in round one this year. Look, I, I mean, if we're being honest, if Derrick Henry doesn't go around one, if Nick Chubb doesn't go around one, I don't think any of these running backs here are going to go around one. Now, that's not to say that they won't have decent careers in the NFL. I like Brees Hall. I like Kenneth Walker. I even like guys further down the list like Tyler Beatty, James Cook, all those guys. Uh, and I think that they could bring things to the team, but not a first rounder. I don't see that happening this year. Last question. Uh, how weird is it to have the entire internet badger you about when you're proposing to Alyssa? <laughs> we, uh, I, I, I do my best to have some fun with it. It's certainly, you know, our entire relationship has been very publicly online because she was obviously very entrenched into Twitter and everything after covering the Jaguars and then going to SEC Network. And then, of course, me kind of coming up through draft circles and everything. And so it's it's good fun. It's worse when she gets in on it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> sometimes sometimes people will tweet at me and they'll 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 tweet a joke and then I'll respond and they'll just be like, "Haha, well, uh, and then we all move on." When Alyssa will respond to somebody, everybody will then just be like, "Oh my gosh, like she saw it as <laughs> as if she's the last person in the world who's ever thought about it." So, uh yeah, it's um it's very unique, it's very fun and it's just I guess a fun thing to be able to uh be in on with a lot of people. Trevor, this has been great, man. Really appreciate the time. Appreciate you, Connor. Anytime, man. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring out the best advice you've ever received. Simple as that. Will, what's the best advice you've ever received? Um, there's a ton, obviously. I think the most simple and concise for sure was from my mom. Uh, she said it was like after I had like, you know, the bad high school breakup or whatever. And she was like, well, you know, a healthy relationship looks like an eight, right? You have two independent people standing up and they have this bond that like brings them together. She's like a toxic relationship looks like an A. It's like two people leading against each other. And then if one of them falls down, the whole like house falls down. So I feel like I just like took that to heart when I was having a rough day and I've like told that to many people that that's like, my mom has an entire wing of great advice, but that's the one that always sticks with me. I love that. That's really good. And 
advice when you're going through a breakup sometimes that's the last thing you want to hear mm-hmm. you, you you don't want to hear it because you're like you don't understand what i'm going through when right. in reality it's like well you actually probably understand exactly what this is like and that's probably the best time where you should be listening and not just wallowing in your own sorrows i like that of course your mom was going to give great advice come on that oh was, yeah that was obvious Forget it. yeah yeah mine was from my dad um he said life is too short to not love what you do mm-hmm told that to my brother uh, and me pretty often. My dad, I, I don't know if I've, how much, if I've shared this a lot, um, my dad sold cars for a living. Mm-hmm. He did not love what he did at all, but he did it because he was good at it and it paid well. He had a family to support and that meant when I was a kid, he would work on Saturdays, he would miss our games. My mom would, would drive us to games, she would, she would tape them and then Saturday night, we'd have hamburgers and hot dogs and my dad would, we'd wait for my dad to come home and then we'd watch the tapes of the games and whatnot. Um, That's why I can't stand whenever I hear someone say slimy used car salesman Mm. to describe someone's personality. It is a a pet peeve of mine that just, it is, it pinches a nerve in a different kind of way. I had this English teacher in high school, Mr. McDermott. His nose could touch the ceiling with how pompous he was. Mm-hmm. Walked like this. I mean, just <laughs> head in the clouds, very punchable face if you ask me, but whatever. He said that on multiple occasions. And I would blurt out in the middle of class, hey, my dad doesn't sit at work and make fun of your job, so I'd appreciate it if you showed the same respect to him. Good. All right? To this day, it pisses me off to hear that. Not because my dad had this passion for selling cars and he's like, selling cars is amazing but because of what he sacrificed to provide for our family. That's such a noble thing in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like even when my dad sold three cars in a day, I would watch him come home and he'd walk in the door at night, he'd be exhausted, never with a smile on his face. It didn't make a difference how many he sold. He had the same look if he sold three, if he sold nothing. And at the same time though, like that's why he was so supportive of what Ryan and I wanted to do as sports writers because he always wished that he could have done some things differently to give himself more options so that he could have done something that he loved instead of selling cars and not being happy in his job. And when my brother and I delivered my dad's eulogy, I, I, I brought back what he always told us. Life is too short to not love what you do. And I, it sucks to think that he did something he didn't love for as long as he lived. And that was a really tough thing to kind of look back on. But when I, I think about that, I, I always try and just appreciate how fortunate I am to be in this job. Like when I explain what I do for a living, like writing and talking about college football, every once in a while I'll get somebody who says like, oh, but, but is that full time? <laughs> and I take so much pride in saying, yep, you're darn right it is. And All of I say that is built to- on QB takes, buddy. <laughs> yeah, what's the Kevin Kisner? Not a hobby, right. not a hobby, all right, look. And, and you know, I, I say that not to try and be like arrogant, like how dare you question? Because for a lot of people, you know, it, it, it's a passion thing. And if, if that's like just kind of a side hustle for you, that's perfectly fine. Listen, it is for me. <laughs> look, and you love what you do as exactly, well, which yeah, is, like, that's, that's the best of both worlds. And to be able to, to, to have that and to also have this, this passion that you get to pursue and that you get to talk about. And so I think about that a lot. And you know what? I, I wouldn't be able to, to come back with a response like that if my dad didn't sacrifice his own happiness to help my brother and I afford college and, and start our careers. My mom worked as well, but like, you know, also took care of us when we were younger and didn't necessarily work full time the way that my dad did. So 
I love what I do and I appreciate every single day of it. And I hope that comes out in every single episode of this podcast. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna do something that's a little bit different. Um, We're we're gonna go a little bit all over the place with some of these because I I wanted this to be open because advice can be anything. And if they're not as heavy of responses as what I just said in the Facebook group, that's perfectly fine as well. All advice can be good advice. Uh, Let's go to the Facebook group. Emery's got a good one. Emery says, it could always be worse, and when it can't get any worse, it can only get better. Also, if you won't remember it in five years, don't let it ruin your day. Love that. That last one. Yup. That's tough. Dude, that is so unbelievably hard to actually have that type of perspective to not get, like, not let one thing carry into the next day with that five-year thought in mind like i'll think to myself everything is working against me on this day and i'm going to be frustrated to wake up Hmm. knowing that i'm still fighting these battles but if i'm not going to think about in five years i should probably just accept that some days suck and that's just the way that it is god i love that one Dude, the thing is, tattooed. Too, is like, usually when you're in those situations, it's because like, you know, let's just say you're doing something at work, you're at the DMV or something, and there's someone who, like their whole life is just making your life bad. Like you're in this universe that you don't totally understand, and it's like this person's like happiness to make you feel bad, that you just think to yourself, it's like, dang, like I'm really lucky that I'm not living that life. Like I'm not, you know, subjecting random people to like different paperwork and like doing whatever. It's like, yeah, like that. that's a great way to look. Like, especially I'm thinking about this with like office drama because there's always office drama. Like that's one always. thing that like, you know, like like that's the honestly an underrated part of like the SDS job is like there's very little office drama. Everybody's pretty cool. It's all whatever. But like that's one thing I was always like, dude, if you're miserable and you make other people miserable, like that's your problem. So usually those people are the ones that like are bringing people down with like little stuff. You know what I'm saying? Jealousy is the biggest thing that I think of when I when I try and remember that premise. Mm-hmm. If you're jealous of an opportunity that someone else got, just think about how little that's gonna matter five years from now. Mm-hmm. I mean, truly, it, it really will. And if you can kind of keep that in mind, with work especially, that's that's just such a big thing. It's like in relationships, that's the other area where it's that's a very, um, yeah, try, try telling that one during a fight. Hey, you're not gonna remember this in five years. <laughs> yes. Man, you're not lying about that. Oh God, so many times we're just like, what, what are we talking about here? All right, like you, you didn't like the way that I responded to that. I didn't like the way that you responded to that. Like the grand scheme of things, right. it's such a little tiny little blip on the radar, but we get worked up about things because we're human. Right, That happens. Jesse Folly says, if your company offers a 401k match, always invest enough to get the full match. Yes. No yep. <laughs> no critique. Do that. Yes. Follow that, Jesse. Praise that. Appreciate that every single day. Tristan Smith says, learn to love being alone and know how to be alone mm-hmm. and then learn to be with someone. Leave the ice cream and cookies alone, Doughboy. Love everything you've got and you'll always have enough. This guy talking right to me, man. Come on, Tristan. <laughs> <laughs> you got the same advice my mom had. Stop eating ice cream. All right, fine, fair. And then, yeah, love with everything you got. You always love that. I, I love that. Yeah. Two out of three ain't bad. I love the ice cream and cookies. I'm not laying <laughs> off those. I got moose tracks in the freezer right now. Mm-hmm. Might have to go sample a bite of that after we finish recording this. I'm not laying off the ice cream anytime soon. All right. We're not doing that. Learn to love being alone and know how to be alone. Mm-hmm. How many people do you think thought of that during 2020? 
tons. I mean, the psychological aspect of going through, not to, not to get like too dark or anything here, but the psychological aspect of going through COVID, I would think about my, my friends who are, are living alone all the time and how hard that had to be on them. And maybe some of them are very different people now kind of coming out of this and they have a, just a new appreciation for having a social life. I think that would have been a really hard thing to go through. And I bet a lot of people had to learn how to, how to function alone and to, to kind of develop your hobbies, your interests and all these different things. It's not easy. And I definitely take that for granted. Look, Lauren and I have been together since college. I had to be alone only a few times for random sports here and there when we were long distance. But for the most part, I've pretty much always had Lauren. I've always had a best friend under my own roof. Oh. And yeah, I know. Yeah. All right. Well, we're getting a little sappy. Let's move on to the next one then. Uh, Jonathan Mason, this is a long one. Uh, Jonathan says, I had the privilege of playing for coaching legend Ken Sparks at Carson Newman. And pretty much every year he would tell us that we shouldn't be out late because nothing good ever happens past 10 p.m. That's pretty early. I, don't know. I was about to say, 10 p.m.? I've had some really good things like past 10 p.m. But like one and midnight, I can one, get by that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he, he was a little old school in that regard. And I'm also pretty sure that Butch Jones borrowed the phrase championship of life from him. Oh, oh boy. Yikes. Uh, the truth comes out. <laughs> the, the best advice he gave was in regards to how we lived our lives off the field. He told us that when we were out in the community, not only were we representing our team and our college, but we were also representing our family. And after we hung up our cleats and left college, we would be representing our job or some other commitment. And we should always remember that we should be the best we can for whoever it is that we may be representing. It sounded cheesy at the time, but as a 37-year-old husband and dad, it makes more sense every day. When you are, I think even like 23, 24, I don't think that premise truly sinks in. Now, if you're in a situation where you have a wife and kids at 23 and 24, maybe it does. Mm -hmm. It takes a really long time to understand that. I went through high school just convinced that my mom was so paranoid about seeing my brother and I like in the police blotter, hmm. which we weren't by the way, but she was so paranoid about that. And I never really fully understood how, if I got arrested for something, she was gonna have to hear about that everywhere she went. And she was gonna have to deal with the, the ramifications of that. And she was gonna have to get the weird looks when she went into Dominic's. Nobody in the world knows what Dominic's is. It's a grocery store in the suburbs of Chicago. She was gonna get the weird looks. And I, you know, I, you think my actions impact me, myself, and I, but the reality is like, once your family's associated with that, I mean, I'll get emails every once in a while from family members of players um, in the SEC or in the Big Ten who have been arrested, mm -hmm. and they'll email me asking them if they can remove the post because the charges were dropped. That actually happens. like. Mm -hmm. Like once every once every couple months, and 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 more more, more times than not, we oblige because yeah. if you're interviewing for a job or something like that, and that's the first thing that comes up when for a Google result, that that really hurts. And if you're out in the community, even at like even if you might have been doing wrong things to to kind of be put in that position, whatever the case may be, but you kind of understand all of the people that are associated with that, or if you were related, like if one of your siblings did something, like one of your siblings committed a serious crime, mm -hmm. you gotta wear that for, for like ever. That's such a hard thing to have to get away from. And I, I probably don't appreciate the fact that my brother you know, kept on the straight and narrow and didn't do anything. I benefit, I rode my brother's coattails of anything. Like what are we talking about here? But instead, like a lot of people- There's not a, there's yeah, not like, a rambunctious O'Gara brother. You guys are both like, 
Like, you, your parents did a good job with y'all. I don't think either of you guys are showing up in police water. Well, I appreciate that. But like, you just you just never know. Like, you get caught up in the wrong things mm -hmm. and the way that it impacts your family members. I'm sure there are people listening to this who have had siblings that have done something that they haven't been proud of and then they've kind of had to answer for that. And that, that sucks. Your decisions have big time implications. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I've never talked about this in the pod. My dad's just kind of a interesting person. I'll just leave it at that. And we have the same name. And so... It used to be whenever you Googled me, you'd get him and his list of things he's done. And uh, from a pretty early age, I made it a point for me to be, it's one of the reasons why I'm in social media, is like to make enough of an imprint in this world to almost kind of erase the, the stuff my dad had kind of put out there. And so, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. It's like you don't understand how your actions affect your family, people around you and stuff like that. And, and going back to your like kind of parents point earlier, it's like, it's crazy how that stuff, like you either want to be just like your parents or the opposite of your parents. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting to see like, like kids, like people younger than us are so bold, dude. And you'll run into people in public and they'll say stuff to you. And you're like, dog, like sometimes I wish I, I admire younger people's confidence or the way they say stuff. It's like, you just don't know what it's like to be on the other side of that, you know? I think about this is going to sound really weird. I, I'm, not, I'm trying not to get political or anything like that, but like, can you imagine being like one of the the Clinton daughters or something like that? Yeah, Chelsea's and a watching life, like man. your like. I, I okay, mean, like, let me stop there. She's had a fine life. Her life has been very cushy and good. I'm sure lots of people have said very mean things to her about her parents, which is tough, you know. That would just suck. Like, yeah. I don't care what political affiliation you have whatsoever to have to deal with that and to have to answer questions about that every single time just because. Your dad was, you know, wanted to go outside of the marriage for a little bit of romantic, you know, whatever you want to call it. Like, mm -hmm. and to have to just answer questions that all the time, that sucks. That absolutely sucks to have to deal with that. Great advice. Great advice. Um, Michael Dark says, cardio is a waste of time. If you want to burn fat, you got to lift. Yes. <laughs> fat burning no expert here, Will Ogburn. <laughs> yeah, what do they say? Fat burning is like heart rate between like, uh, like 101 15 or 120 is that is that the range it's that burning range like a, a lightweight and a heavyweight it's like that daniel batson says never play leapfrog with unicorns okay i'll store that one away if i'm ever in that situation yes yeah if, if i'm around several unicorns i'd say first of all what's up um <laughs> Didn't it's think we'd ever boy, see this Connor day. O'Gara, big unicorn yeah. fan. Big unicorn guy. Um, not exactly in a position where I want to leapfrog. So thank you, Daniel, for that. Just in case we come across it. You never know. Drew Page says, I don't know if this will make the episode or should. It is. <laughs> but I want to be out there anyway. Uh, the best advice I ever got was to go to therapy and to be real about my mental illness after my second suicide attempt. The best phrase I'll ever hear is mental illness isn't your fault, but it is your responsibility. And if you're struggling like that, know that I love you. Amen, man. Amen. Deal with uh, mental health uh, a lot in the last five years. And uh, there are a lot of organizations that do great work addressing that now. And um, it's, it's kind of cool to see the way that people talk about mental health and how, how relatable it is, you know? Like everybody has their own, their own stuff that they're dealing with and their own stuff that brings them to, to this point. I had an incident this week that, you know, I'm not gonna get into any details with where that really sunk in. And I, I kind of took a step back and I'm like, gosh, I, I hope that people feel like they can talk about it. And I hope that they feel like they're heard and they're understood um, because there are a lot who go through life never having that 
and never having that acceptance. And that's a, that's a tough thing to have to, to think about. And you wonder about parents of a different generation who went through struggles their entire life and they never felt like they could talk about it yeah. and be open about what they went through and how, you know, one of the great things that we have done as a society, I think in the 21st century is just be real about it. Just understand that it, it happens and why not talk about it? And why not be open? And why try and why try and suppress it and pretend like it's not there when it is for so many people who are probably listening to this right now who are dealing with their own things. Um, but Drew, I I really appreciate you sharing that, man. And I'm glad you were able to to get the help that you need. This is like related but not related. It's um, one thing that like I try to do. Uh, you know, it's it's a little bit different. Like as a dude with like all these you know generations, like you talked about, of kind of like masculinity and what it means to be a man and all that different stuff. But it's like I just try to like you know love on my friends, like let them know if they're supported and stuff like that. Because you just never know like what somebody can be going through. And I have like some friends that will go out and tell you exactly like, dude, I'm going through this today. I'm sorry. I have some friends that you gotta really just like you know love on and be like, dude, yes. like what's going on, like da da da. So like just know like like I think that. that that, that's a powerful phrase like mental illness isn't your fault but it's your responsibility it's like you you always got to like self-assess yourself and then also you know what i'm saying be aware of the other people around you be aware of what they could be going through and then at the same time you know be aware of yourself and think okay well you know it's also my responsibility to if i have this you know type of situation going on and you think about how that can affect my friends because we're all just one big ecosystem and i think that stuff is the stuff exactly what you talked about they used to get buried and people would just have a falling out and think why why did we have a falling out we don't even know it's just years of stuff that's not talked about so i'm that guy that's like i mean at work you know with my friends i'm always like all right you know we got an issue let's talk about it. let's like get it out there it's all figured out so it's not there's nothing wrong if you're a dude you know what i'm saying it, to talk about stuff that matters and to have like real conversation with your boys that go beyond you know the box scores of the georgia game or whatever we all love that stuff that's what this podcast is about but obviously you know that's the why we're all here you know it's all just love yeah i have a couple of friends every once in a while who you just have no idea kind of where they're at yeah. if they if they were if they were struggling they'd be the last people to tell you and I, sometimes I find myself being like, I should probably like check in with them, just, just kind of see how they're doing and make sure that everything, everything's kind of all right because if they're not letting you know and if they are going through that struggle, how, how bad would I feel if I, was the, if I was in that place where I could have helped, I could have talked to them and I, and I didn't. And I'm sure there are, there are people who can relate to, to, to feeling like that. And that's not something that you, know, you should carry with you necessarily, but you know, be willing to, to reach out to people in your life and just, just checking in. Simple as that. Um, we're getting deep. We're getting really deep in this mm -hmm. pod. That's all right. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Joshua Moore says, kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Love it. Caleb Tillman. Learned this from a production director when I was working uh, sound at summer camps. In the moment, aim for perfection. Then when you look back, accept excellence. Mm -hmm. Helps keep me striving for my best without beating myself up over every mistake. I think there are a lot of people that um, and I'm guilty of this to a certain extent. The old, I hate losing more than I like winning. Mm -hmm. Dangerous. Yep. Dangerous, man. Appreciate those victories. Because it can be so easy to just beat yourself up all the time. I'll do that. I do that when I'm cooking the most. That's the <laughs> weirdest thing. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. Just screaming. <laughs> screaming at some stroking off. Like, come on! <laughs> We're better tea. than this, Connor. Well, I told you, I'm, I'm bad at following instructions, and so I always make that one mistake. Mm -hmm. And Lauren will always have to tell me afterwards, this is great, this is great, stop beating yourself up for it. I'm not an expert chef. I'm not even a, I'm not even a B plus chef. 
I'm, I'm like a, I'm like a solid C plus average chef. All right. I don't pride myself on, on being, you know, sitting here trying to pretend like I'm Tom Colicchio or something. All right. Like I, I'm just trying to make a decent meal that gets the taste buds going. That's all we're trying to do here. All right. I made chili this past week out of this SEC cookbook that um, that my brother and sister-in-law got me a few years ago. And I make I make this meat chili like once or twice a year. That's just loaded. It's like got Boston bud. It's got all these different kinds of beans in there. It's got like two cups of barbecue sauce. It is not healthy at all. It's really good though. And afterwards, I'm like beating myself up for it because I followed all the instructions and still like the bottom of the pan, I had I had like the stuff stick to it. And Lauren's like, well, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, because it's the sugar content, it's really high sugar content, it's gonna stick to the bottom of the pan, but I'm still beating myself up for it. I'm like, like, why did, why did I do that? What do I, and it's like, just enjoy the meal, idiot. Just enjoy it. At least Just you're not like Kevin Malone jump. with chili everywhere, okay? Amen, Will. Amen. I didn't drop the chili all over the place. That's a win. Connor's famous chili. Kobe Black says, if you want to find the quickest and easiest way to do something, ask a lazy person. Yes, dog. <laughs> Especially you know, at my job where like everything is process-based. I know two or three people I can talk to and be like, Hey bro, I know you don't enjoy this. How do you do it? <laughs> and they always will find, oh dude, I have like, what oh, dude built a little like algorithm that would just like, like tag stuff for him. I was like, give me that, yeah. Uh, words I live by, laziness cripples success. <laughs> does, does. That's, that's me, that's not even a Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott situation mm -hmm. of you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That's, that's straight up from this noggin right here. Oh, yeah. right? If anybody wants to consider that the best advice they've ever gotten, you're more than welcome to. I don't e you don't even have to credit me, that's perfectly fine. My version of that, I know I've said this with you, is uh, what is it, happiness is based on expectation? It's like if you want a happy Ooh. life, lower your expectations. Because like whenever we get disappointed, it's because we had high expectations of something. If you just assume, if you just, have, like, if you're having a bad day, you know what I'm saying? Really, like, it's good to assume that people have got your back in life, but if you're having a bad day, if you have that day where you woke up, like, wake up on the wrong side of the bed and everybody's just, you know, messing you over, you just go, you know, how's the worst this could go? And anything above that, I'm fired up about, man. This, this just all comes back to the Spencer Rattler conversation. Exactly. Happiness and expectations. I've That's often said life about is today. a lot like Spencer Rattler. Good, good one. Spencer Rattler is a microcosm for life. There's the next monologue. <laughs> All right. Cruz Lorera. Lorera? Yeah, Cruz. Cool name. Be the person you needed in life. That's Sometimes fine. you wish, yeah, that's, uh, that is seven words of just like deep, very, very deep. Mm -hmm. How many times in life do you think I wish I had that one person that I could talk to. I wish I had that one person to, to kind of keep me on that right path. I like that. That's really good. Or like be the person you would want to have a drink with. Right. I think that's similar, similar vibes. I would not have wanted to have a drink. I would not have wanted to have a drink with Connor before the age of 22. No way. No way. That would have been very unpleasant. Just because you were a frat god? Uh, not even. Not even. Like kind of a wannabe, if anything. Um, not really lacking a whole lot of identity, values, anything like that. Um, yeah, be the person you want to have a drink with or be the person you needed in life. I like that. Tyler Chandler, always eat your fries first. No one likes cold fries. Yeah, and you can't reheat them. It's a conspiracy by the government. Fries cannot be reheated. Put them in the oven maybe if they're really good fries, but maybe 5% return on the fries being reheated. The air fryer has changed the game with reheating fries, no. man. It really has. Dude, I'm telling you, I would have so many instances in which when you get a mountain of fries, when you go to a restaurant, you're like, I'm not bringing that home. I'm not gonna reheat this crap. 
bring it home to your air fryer. Dog, oh, it's the best. Oh. It's the absolute best. I, he's right though. I mean, if you're getting like a, a single serving order, a Chick-fil-A or something like that, Wendy's fries used to go soggy in roughly four minutes. Mm -hmm. People don't talk enough about how quickly those fries would deteriorate. They're like a car that you drive out of the auto lot, right? Like you drive out of the dealership and just like that, boom, downhill. I hated that. No, thank you. I stopped getting Wendy's fries for that. I'm like, give me chicken nuggets or chili or something. All right, let's move on. <laughs> I don't know how we get to talk about that. Tyler Lynn says, never catch something you can't throw back. I'm not a fisherman, but I think that's good advice. I'm so stupid, bro. I was thinking of football. You're right. That's probably about fish. That's probably what it is. That's probably what it is. Zachary Warden says, you've got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting. No, God, Connor. Right. I didn't think we'd get there. I, again, if I wasn't going to sing on the podcast wherein I'm reciting all of these country lyrics, did you really think I was going to hop in and do double, what's the, the jump roping thing? Oh, yeah, double dutch? Double dutch. Did you really think I was going to jump in and do double dutch with you with no one to hold them and no one to fold them? Listen, every no. day I start this podcast to think, how can I embarrass Connor today? And I almost got you. Actually, no, I didn't you almost did. No. No. Give, give, me the, give me the karaoke at Gabriel's. So that's there the place you're seeing that. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Davis says, before my wedding, I was asked, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? <laughs> yeah. I stuck with me ever since. Don't sweat the small poop emoji. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. Being right, not always the most important thing. It's really not. I gave that up a long time ago. I really did. Little things, Lauren's always right about everything big picture. She doesn't, she's not a regular listener, so I can say that. And no, that's not coming back to me. Very um, thick walls in this new house you guys have. No, nah, she's working at the office today, so we're good. We're okay. good. But... I gave up a long time ago trying to prove I'm right with every single thing. And I'll tell you what, it helps. It really helps. That's the same thing with Twitter arguments. That's why I don't sit there fighting people that honestly, they're just going to, they believe what they believe. Nobody's ever going to admit to being wrong. I'm like, what's the point of doing this? This just wasted 15, 20 minutes of my life. I don't get that time back. Sorry. It's just not worth it for me. Let's just both agree to disagree on something. Once you can accept that, Makes life a little bit easier to live. Uh, but mainly with your significant other, you gotta just assume being right's not gonna always be in the cards. That's, yeah, being right versus being happy. Very, yeah, that's the thing that <laughs> I need to think about more. Like, I'm, I'm the guy, like, that's the progress I've made the most in the last, like, year or so. It was just like, okay, and, like, you're right, cool. Like, it was four o'clock instead of five o'clock, sure. We're, yes. like, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, dude. That, yeah. Is this gonna matter in five years? Exactly. <laughs> all tied to this, 100%. Let's end with this one from Tom, Tom Branham. Tom says, love is like a fart. If you have to force it, it's probably crap. Heck yeah, brother. Never, I've never heard that. I don't know why we ended with that one. <laughs> That's all right. It's not wrong. It's really, it's, it's a true. lot of things, really. It's, you know, podcast topics. It's, it's really, a, it could be anything. If you're out there just squeezing, it's not good. Like, <laughs> don't squeeze. Unless you're at the gym. Yeah. No squeezing outside of those confines. Yeah. Right. Relationships are difficult, but uh, yeah, don't uh, don't force it. It's never it's never worth it. Should be relatively easy, at least at some point. Okay, 
Thank you to everybody who submitted to all those responses. Got a lot of good ones in the Facebook group. If you have not joined the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group, you should totally do that. Hear your name read on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast if you have not already. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, Saturday Down South on YouTube. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.